This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. We're seeing the imagination of worry. Worry has a great imagination. And so it asks big questions. It asks scary questions. It does it in the dark of night if it's happening at bedtime, which make them seem bigger. We're looking at how it is that your child is capable or struggling with being able to manage what their worry brain is throwing at them. That's what we're talking about. Welcome to Flusterclucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about how to manage those tricky emotions that show up in all families. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host, Robin, and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Flusterclucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. And I'll even tell you what to do and what to say. Hey, Lynn. Hey, Robin. I think what's so consistent about this time of year is that our bodies want more sleep. I think compared to summer when we have so many sunlight hours, I really feel it. So I think we're talking about sleep today and I'm excited. Yeah, we are talking about sleep. Funny you should say that because this morning when I woke up, I'm an early riser a lot of the time. I work out early in the morning, but I have really discovered recently that waking up a little later is very nice and I think it's because of the time of year, but I've just been valuing sleep, actually. Probably in the last few years, I've been valuing sleep more than I ever have. Do you know what my new little hack is? What? I still wake up pretty early, maybe, you know, 5.30, 6 o'clock, 6.30, my body wakes up. Mm -hmm. But I wake up now and I do a little bit of work and then I take a nap. Oh. And I haven't even left the bed yet. So I might take my nap at 7 you know, or 6.30. But for some reason, then when I wake up that second time, I feel like I got even like a special little treat. I had a friend that used to call that the post rest. The post rest. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll wake up at 5.30 or 6. I have to pee. But I think ever since my kids have been little, I am an absolute pro at falling back asleep. So I'm valuing sleep. And, you know, I think we're going to do this episode on sleep for a few reasons. One is because we've done two previous episodes on sleep. One was at the very beginning, way back when. It was in May of 2020. We did an episode of sleep. And then we did an in-session episode talking to a family about sleep problems. And that was more than a year ago. And we've been getting a lot of questions in the podcast group about sleep. And I am reading those questions and I am recognizing that there are things that are going to be helpful to address. Yeah, there's really... I have a lot of compassion for families that don't get good sleep. I have a friend who falls in that category. Their family has been put through a lot. And it's a real bummer when you're tired all the time because people are not getting a good night's sleep in the family. Right. And it sets off a chain of emotional and cognitive and behavioral challenges that just tend to spiral pretty quickly. So sleep is important. Here's what we're not going to talk about today. I am not going to give you advice on how to get your kid to sleep. 
I'm not going to talk about sleep training and the benefits of sleep training or not sleep training. I'm not going to talk about the controversies that people have about whether or not you're sleeping here or sleeping there. There are so many different styles and ways that families sleep. And it has a lot to do with cultural issues or considerations. It has a lot to do with the space in your house. I mean, I knew a family that grew up where they were living in an apartment because the marriage had broken up and the kids were sharing a bedroom with their mom because that's the space that they had. So I am not going to talk about sleep in terms of sleep routines and all that kind of stuff. There are plenty of experts that can give you lots of information about getting your kid to sleep and when to do this and when to do that. What I'm going to talk about is when worry shows up at bedtime. How do you deal with that? Because that's what the questions are about. Yeah, because people think it's a sleep issue. Correct. Right. But it's a worry issue. It's a worry issue. And the reason that it becomes so prominent is like you say, people want to get to sleep. And I remember saying this in the first episode we did about sleep almost three years ago. The reason that it becomes such a struggle is because it's happening at the very time of day when you probably feel the least equipped as a parent or the least tolerant or patient as a parent in order to deal with it because you're tired and you want everybody to go to sleep. What happens if you've got one kid that's not falling asleep and he's waking up the other kids that are asleep? What happens if one of the partners in the family has to get up early for an important work event the next day and the child is not falling asleep? So the intensity of it, the pressure, and then the escalating panic about kids not sleeping definitely becomes a problem. But here's the thing. When worry shows up at bedtime, It is not different than worry that shows up all the other times. It's just showing up at a different time of day. And I could say, well, gosh, what about worry that shows up in the morning before you are supposed to go to school? What about worry that shows up at mealtimes because you have a child that has a really difficult time eating, is a picky eater or has issues at mealtime? What about worry that shows up when you and your partner want to go out for a movie or to dinner and your child has separation issues. It's not different. It's just showing up at a different time of day. That's interesting for people to really stop and hear what you just said, because I don't want people to not unpack that. It's critical to think about all the ways that worry or anxiety are showing up throughout the day. And you could be looking for worry. You could be looking for rigidity. What else could you be looking for to see this as an overall anxiety pattern as opposed to a sleep pattern? So you're seeing the worry. So we're seeing the imagination of worry. Worry has a great imagination. And so it asks big questions. It asks scary questions. It does it in the dark of night if it's happening at bedtime, which make them seem bigger. We're looking at how it is that your child is capable or struggling with being able to manage what their worry brain is throwing at them. That's what we're talking about. So what people often get caught up in is, well, she's worrying about things that are really scary. And that it has to do with bedtime or it has to do with falling asleep or it has to do with the fact that we're not in the room with her. 
somebody might say, well, when she's going to bed at night, she can't fall asleep because she's thinking about blank. Okay. Well, during the day, she might be thinking about blank also. It just isn't interfering with her sleep, but it might be interfering with her ability to focus at school. It might be interfering with her ability to go to a friend's house. It might be interfering with her ability to pay attention to what you want her to do. It might be interfering with her ability to go upstairs and take a shower when you're downstairs in the kitchen. The reason that we don't want to make this a completely separate, different thing is because it's not. It's the same process. It's just showing up at a time of day which makes it feel unique, but it's not unique. Now, let me tell you in terms of if you're saying, well, is this a problem? Is this worry a problem? And the same things apply is if we're talking about worry anywhere else. Worry is a problem at bedtime if it gets in the way of what you want and or need to do. Or what you want or need your child to do. Correct, correct. You want or need your child to do. So if you are totally fine with having your three-year-old snuggle in your bed with you and sleep in your bed and that's not an issue, that is not an issue. If you are totally fine with having a futon in your bedroom on the floor and your kids can come and sleep in on the floor anytime they want and that doesn't interfere in any way, that's totally fine until it does. So there are families that I work with that the sleep issue is a problem because they want or need their kids to get good sleep. They want or need to get good sleep, or maybe they want to have some time to themselves in the evening. Maybe they don't want to have a three-year-old between them in the bed. Maybe they want to be able to cuddle in the bed or have adult conversations in the bed or have sex in the bed without the child in the bed with them. Maybe they want to be able to put their child to bed at 7.30 and then be able to enjoy two hours of not being a full-time parent and being able to sort of unwind and watch Breaking Bad. Well, and another, your child wants to go to a sleepover. You need your child to be able to spend the night at Aunt Mary's house because you have to travel for work. And so it gets in the way. That's when we pay attention to it, when worry in general is getting in the way of what we want or need our family to do. That's when it becomes a problem. Let's take a break. We'll come right back. I really have to pay attention to hydrating properly. I work out a lot. I talk all the time, as you know. I am pretty active and I don't drink enough water. So I'm constantly thinking about how it is that I am going to hydrate in the best way possible. And I'll tell you, if my water has a little bit of flavor, it's so much easier for me. And if I can get those electrolytes, if I can get more bang for my buck, it's just so much better. I have been using liquid IV. I put it into a huge glass. I put it into the refrigerator. It's cold. It's very tasty. I've been putting it in my water bottle when I go to the gym. The packaging is so convenient. I actually look forward to drinking it, which is not something that comes naturally to me. I love the lemon-lime flavor. They've got a sugar-free option that is really great. So I think 
that if you're somebody like me that has a difficult time getting in the amount of hydration that you need for your body, Liquid IV is a great option. One stick, 16 ounces of water, it hydrates better than water alone. It's got three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, and it doesn't have all that sugar. It doesn't have artificial sweeteners, eight vitamins and nutrients just for your everyday wellness. It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. However you hydrate, grab your liquid IV, hydration multiplier, sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code FLUSTER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code FLUSTER at liquidiv.com. You know, sometimes people wait until something bad happens to talk to a therapist, but why wait? Therapy can help you shift your perspective, find tools to cope in difficult times, and feel grounded in your personal relationships. So getting started is the important part. Talkspace makes it easy and affordable. With Talkspace, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. It's incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions with your licensed therapist from the comfort of your home, your car, your office. There's no need to commute to appointments and miss time at work or line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. That's right. And it's secure and private. They use the latest end-to-end bank-grade encryption technology to store client information, complying with the latest HIPAA regulations. Remember, Talkspace is affordable and it's in-network with most major insurers. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with your licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. Okay, we're back. Before we start some advice. One of the things that I think would be both helpful and connecting for parents who struggle here, you've heard some really varied scenarios of how sleep presents a problem. Some of them are a little jaw dropping too, but like, tell us a little bit about what you know, because it'll make some, some parents feel better who are struggling here. All right. Well, I'll give you one really dramatic example, which I've may have talked about before. I certainly talk about it when I'm speaking. I had a family come in. The 12-year-old daughter was very anxious about going to sleep on her own and didn't want her parents to be downstairs. She wanted both of her parents to be upstairs when she went to bed. She had to know where they were. There was a lot of demands about that. The problem was that the dad was totally on board. And in fact, the 12-year-old had a baby monitor in her bedroom. The dad had made a promise to her daughter that no matter where she was, no matter how old she was, he would be there for her whenever she needed him. That was his parenting mantra. So it became so severe. I mean, that sounds nice, doesn't it? Like, look, no matter where you are, it sounds like a song. Like, wherever you are, I'll be there. It probably is a song. It became so severe, it became so dramatic that there was a baby monitor in the room 
which was giving this 12-year-old the message that she needed to make sure that her dad could hear her all the time. And when they came in, you know, they come in and the daughter is really anxious and the mom is sort of seeing where this is going to go. The 12-year-old isn't able to go to sleepovers. They're talking about maybe her being able to go to a summer camp. This girl was anxious about a lot of things. It just showed up at night. Dad was not going to get rid of the baby monitor. People come to see me and every once in a while they come once and they never come back. That was this family because I was like, yeah, we got to get rid of the baby monitor. That's a very extreme example. But for listeners who haven't, we started, I believe it was season three with like a three episode series on developing the skills that prevent anxiety disorders. And this is such a great example of denying your kids autonomy. Right. Unfortunately, mistaking love and care and connection for a lack of autonomy, because sometimes it's that closeness, right? I'm going to be there for you. Whenever you need me, I will be there. I will be right there. That gets in the way of a child being able to develop a sense of self. Right. Because the I'm not challenging this father's love. Correct. Not at all. But the very healthy approach would be, I'm here for you, but I also know that you're capable of taking care of yourself. Correct. And you have to learn how to take care of yourself when I can't be there. Right. You know, or... um, Or shouldn't be there. Or shouldn't be there. Exactly. Yeah. When my daughter was little, I remember I didn't want to raise a daughter who always went to daddy or, or mommy, but like, especially like to have that, the biggest superhero you need to count on is you. Mm. Rescue yourself. I bet you can rescue yourself here. And of course, we always helped out when that wasn't appropriate, but giving children a sense of, I can rescue myself. Anyway, I digress, but it's such a powerful message of how this family in a very loving way has let his anxiety and his need to comfort with content-based reassurance, he has denied his daughter's ability to develop appropriate emotional skills. Correct. So that's a dramatic example. I've certainly seen many families where they are having difficulty keeping their child in bed. In their own bed. In their own bed, right. So they put the child to sleep. And what happens is, is that there becomes a very long ritual a very long, protracted bedtime routine because the child is trying to slow down, prevent, procrastinate the ultimate separation of I'm going to kiss you goodnight and have you go to sleep. That is very common. And again, I'm today talking about how worry shows up. When you experience your child and they begin to express their worries at night, remember that this is the same process. It's just that they're talking about things that happen to be relevant to the setting of being in a bedroom at night in the dark. So during the day, maybe when they're at school or if they're taking a bath or if they're playing with their friends, they're not going to turn to you and say, what if somebody sneaks into the house and steals me, right? Or they're not going to say to you in the middle of the day, what happens if it's dark and somebody comes out from under my bed and a monster gets me. These are things that are related to the context of nighttime and darkness. It's also a time at night that if you're a worrier, you know, you're a little bit tired, child's a little bit tired, things are slowing down, darkness is happening, separation is going to happen. So it's really likely that the worry is going to pop up. What you have to remember 
is that the front loading is important. And the way that you deal with worry during the day is the same way you deal with worry during the night. And so when people say to me, well, what would you do at night? What would you do if the child is worrying about kidnappers? Or what would you do at night if the child is worried about death? Or what would you do at night if the child is worried about vampires? The answer is the exact same thing that I would do during the day, which is that we want to talk about the process of worry and how worry shows up. We want to give it a name and we want to have a conversation ahead of time that says, when your worry shows up, we know that worry brings up things that make you feel uncertain, that make you feel scared, that make you feel uncomfortable. And at night, it might bring up some things that you think about all the time, but it also might bring up some things because it's really going to try and grab hold of you at nighttime. This is why it's so important to front load though. Correct. Because no parent at nine o'clock in a bedtime struggle is going to ponder, what would Lynn do or say right now? Correct. This is when you just give in or whatever it means. So that's why you have to have the what would Lynn do conversations at noon or 9 a.m. That's right. Or 3 p.m. So that you can reference that conversation and those examples very quickly and like shorthand when you're tired. Right. And, you know, the front loading that you might do, you might even write some signs, put up some little index cards on the wall if the child is old enough to read that says, that's what my worry says, or a reminder of worry, I know that you're trying to scare me and I'm not playing that game. I've had kids, they have a fun time doing it. They get these little index cards or pieces of paper, they write messages to themselves, and they have it right there available when they need it. One of the things people will say to me all the time, remember, and this is the hardest thing, is people think that the way we measure whether or not a worry is severe or not severe is based on the content. So if you have one child that's worrying about whether or not they're going to miss the school bus and another child that's worried about whether or not they're going to die in their sleep, then people will want to rate those worries based on the severity or the scariness of the content. Doesn't matter to me. Is it likely that they're going to come up with bigger, scarier content in the dark of night? Sure. Kids are likely to think about things like kidnapping and robberies and fire and whatever at night than during the day, but not always. So what you have to do is that during the day, you have to talk about how worry works and what you're going to do when the worry shows up. So somebody might say to me, say your child is getting ready to go to bed and they say to you, mommy, what happens if I die during the night? And people will say to me, well, okay, so how would you address that? Huh? Lynn Lyons, how would you address that one? Huh? Nine o'clock at night? I'd say, well, the same way that I would address all of those big worries. I would say, oh, here comes your worry again. You know, you've named it Stella. Here comes Stella. And I might even say, you know what? Stella's really good at bringing up the big stuff at night, isn't she? You know, sometimes she worries during the day about daddy long legs or she worries during the day about this or that. But at night, she really likes to go for the big stuff. But we know what Stella's up to. We know how Stella operates. So you have to do that front loading. Say you put your child to bed or you're about to put your child to bed and they bring up these big worries. They're getting upset. They're crying. They don't want you to leave. Maybe they get really panicky. Maybe they're really getting freaked out, so they're screaming. 
this is where it's really hard to stick with this approach because at this point, you're exhausted. You feel terrible for your kid. They're waking up everybody else in the house. But the key part of it is that you are going to address these worries with them as worries, not getting into the content. And this is where it's really hard for you parents. You're going to do it with consistency. You are going to do it with validation. You are going to do it with a whole lot of love and support. This is not the time where even though it's tempting because you're tired, it's not the time for you to say like, look, I've had it with this, right? That doesn't tend to do anything, but you're going to have to say, here's the plan that we talked about. You're going to stay in your bed. Your worries are going to pop up. You can even role play and practice what you're going to say to the worries when they pop up. And then if your child is having difficulty falling asleep, I want you to leave them in their room. If that's what you've decided that you're doing, leave them in their room. You're going to give them the encouragement, do a little role playing, and then you leave. And then if they get out of bed and they're freaking out, again, a lot of love, a lot of encouragement, a lot of validation. I know this is hard. I'm going to take you back to your bed. Let's do a little role playing. And you may have to do that over and over and over again. The goal at bedtime is the same goal at every other time, which is to change your child's relationship to their worry. How are they getting sucked in? We all have done this, haven't we? We've all done this. How do you change your relationship to your worry when it pops up? And how can you coach your child and support your child so they learn how to do that on their own? That's the goal but it takes a lot of patience. So for families, I'm thinking of one friend I know who's, they have a sleep issue child who has anxiety. They're working on it. And the sleep issue has compounded over the years. But based on your clinical practice, if that anxious child who has a lot of issues at bedtime really starts incorporating the ability to say like, okay, not now worry, you know, I'm done with you. Like they become self-aware of worry and then they learn a different response. Then the bedtime worry issue can go away and can be self-managed. Yeah. Because the reason that it escalates so much at bedtime, like I said, is because it's tired. Everybody's tired and there's an urgency and sort of a, oh my gosh, we have to get to bed. And people don't want things to be loud and messy at nine o'clock compared to they're much more tolerant of that at 11 a.m. than they are at 11 p.m. But once we teach kids these skills, what we're saying to them is that it really is okay that you have these thoughts. It's okay that you have these worries. And let's see how we can teach you how to work through them. The other thing that is totally fine to do when you've got a child who's worrying at bedtime is to give them something to do in bed if they were to wake up so that they can occupy themselves, not a screen though, but you know, it could be a coloring book. It could be a book that they like to read. You know, I'm not a big fan of using distraction in general, but it has its place. And this is why I teach the alphabet game to adults. You can also teach that to kids. I'm sure I talked about that in the first episode. I talk about it a lot, but it's okay to use a little distraction And the way you frame that up for kids is you say, 
when worry shows up at night, your brain is tired, my brain is tired, our bodies are tired, we start thinking too much. Let's just find a little something that you can do to unhook from this powerful worry because it really wants to suck you in at night. The goal is to have them stay in bed and then learn how to put themselves back to sleep. So I have a parenting hack that I learned too late in my parenting journey that I thought was kind of genius. Yeah. I'd like to share it with you because then I'd love for you to add to it. Okay. So for all the parents who have two and three-year-olds, one parent I know who had kids who went to bed pretty easily, they said, we felt like putting yourself to sleep was a skill that needed to be learned. And so they would role play where the child would learn how to put a doll or a toy to sleep Mm -hmm. and talk to it. (laughs) That's very cute. It's very cute. But it's like, so, so it was like, let's break this up into skills and you'll get to learn. But what's interesting is I'm sure the way this parent did it was very charming. But there's an additional layer of preemptive strategies you could add in those conversations. So for example, you could say like after a child is two or three and no longer in like a crib and like they've, they're evolving, right? Then you just very matter-of-factly say, well, this baby doll doesn't need a bottle at night anymore. This baby doll needs space to have a good deep sleep. So then the toddler takes the toy a little further away because you need good deep sleep. So you need it quiet, you know, or you need it dark or whatever. And so you're positively stating like what this baby doll needs to this little child. Right. Yeah. And I love that because what you're doing is you're teaching kids and you can do this when they're little, but you can also do them when they're six or seven or eight or nine. (laughs) Uh, The jig is up. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you wouldn't use a baby doll, but what you could say is, you know what? There are certain things that are really good for sleep. So here are the things that are really good for sleep, which grownups have to learn. Like your room should be cooler and the room should be darker and you shouldn't have a screen in your eyeballs before you fall asleep. And it's good to have comfy jammies on. It's good to, you know, all that kind of stuff. So you can talk to kids very matter-of-factly about what we do to help our sleep. And you can start to do that very early on. That's a great idea to role play with a teddy bear or a little baby doll. The thing also that we want to pay attention to is that insomniacs, people who have a difficult time falling asleep, the thing that they worry about the most is actually falling asleep. Ooh, when we come back, let's unpack that. Okay. All right. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever 
you listen to your podcasts. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, so now back to the show. Okay, so let's talk about insomnia. So insomnia, as defined, is, you know, sort of a chronic inability to fall asleep. And it's certainly for adults, it's a sign of anxiety. It's a sleep disturbances are a real big part of depression. I write a lot about it in the anxiety audit. So if you have trouble falling asleep, you might want to pick that up because I give you lots of tips, grownups. Anyway, so what we want to pay attention to with kids, particularly as they're getting older, is the family's discussion about the need for sleep, which is totally valid, but how do we ramp it up so now it becomes something to be anxious about? One of the things that anxious families struggle with is that they start to freak out when somebody's not falling asleep, or they start to freak out when somebody's having nightmares, or they start to freak out in anticipation of not being able to fall asleep. So it becomes this cyclical thing. Can I add something? Because I think you forgot the one that most moms universally experience the most. Yeah, what's that? You don't want to fall asleep because you dread someone waking <laughs> yeah, you up. Right, yeah. You're like, I don't want to fall asleep and be woken up in the next few hours. And then it just prevents you from falling asleep because that experience of being woken up is so gross. It's so gross. Yeah, I know. So we want to educate kids about how sleep works, but we don't want to, particularly if you have worry in your family, you don't want to make sleep this really emergent thing. You can't say to kids like, you have to fall asleep. It is so important that you fall asleep because that gets in the way of falling asleep. But you want to talk to them about sleep hygiene. You want to talk to them about darkness and coolness and staying away from screens and having a little calm time, reading a story. It's fine to have those bedtime rituals. The other thing too, you really want to make sure that your kids understand is that you don't fall asleep within a minute of your head hitting the pillow all the time. Sometimes that happens. And sometimes there are kids that fall asleep so quickly. There are adults that fall asleep so quickly. You know, couples will tell me, oh my God, he falls asleep within one minute and I have to toss and turn for a half an hour. Giving kids some information about the fact that it really is okay not to fall asleep right away is fine because people that have a history of difficulty falling asleep, if you talk to them, they will often start the clock in their head And if they haven't fallen asleep in five minutes, they get a little worried about it. Remember, insomniacs worry about asleep more than anything else. 
So they start going, oh my gosh, now it's 10 minutes, now it's 15 minutes. You want to normalize that there is a lot of adjusting. You flip the pillow over, you toss and turn, you move around. Sometimes people will get up and go to the bathroom. It's okay. And we want to make sure that you're not giving that message to kids because that freaks them out. They begin to get less and less confident in their ability to fall asleep. So we want to pay attention to that. The other thing is, if your child has a hard time falling asleep, how is your sleep? I mean, ask yourself that. And if you're a good sleeper and you don't really have issues, think why and what are the skills that have helped you? And relay those to your kids. And model them for your kids. And if you are not a good sleeper, and if you talk a lot about that, and if there's a lot of tension and urgency and worry about sleep, and if you are somebody who says a lot during the day, oh my God, I didn't get enough sleep. Oh, how am I possibly going to do this without enough sleep? You are ramping up the expectation of falling asleep. Yeah. The thing in general, sort of, that you want to pay attention to as you're doing this, just to sort of sum this up, is that you want to make sure that your kids are hearing from you that sleep is a normal, natural thing that happens. Sleep routines are good. Their bodies know what to do. They've fallen asleep virtually every day since they've been on planet Earth. And it really is something that if we can get out of the way and get the worry out of the way, their bodies know what to do. And then we also really want to make sure that we are not using bedtime, if you have a worrier, that you are not using bedtime as a time to process worry. Because that happens a lot. Parents will say, well, it's the time of day where she really, or she feels comfortable talking to me about what she's worried about. And it's really helpful for her before she goes to sleep for us to go over the day that's coming up or review the day that just happened, that's a really good time for us to connect. And it's a really good time when she's open and honest with me about what she's feeling. If you have a worrier, what they're doing is that they're opening up the worry box. They're taking out all the worries that are inside and they, they want to talk about the content with you. That is not a good time. It is not a good time to dive into uncertainty and discomfort and worry when you're trying to fall asleep. It's also not a time that's not really the right kind of connection either at bedtime. Yeah. And I totally get it. Like parents will say, well, if we can just talk about the worries and if I can just tell her everything that's happening the next day, a parent will say, well, we have a really good bedtime routine that really helps her with her anxiety. And I go, okay, what is it? Well, at night we get tucked into bed and I read her a story or, you know, she's 12, she doesn't get a story. You know, I come into her bedroom and I sit with her and then she just goes over everything that she's worried about for the next day. And we just make a plan so that when she falls asleep, she can feel totally certain and prepared for the next day. That's called doing the disorder, right? I'm not abandoning planning. If I have to get up tomorrow and I know that I have to get up at this time and I have to be in my car at this time and I have to put on fancy clothes because I'm going to go do a presentation, I plan for all that, but I don't lie in bed making sure that I have rehearsed every possible thing that can go wrong. That's what worry wants. So if you as a parent are getting sucked into this idea that if we just talk about the worries at night, 
if I just give all of this reassurance, if we just, then you are showing your child how to worry rather than showing them how to differentiate between planning and worrying. If you just listened to the more recent episode on the parenting phrases we love, they would be very helpful in that conversation so that when the worried child wants to talk about the test tomorrow or the test that's on Friday, you suggest using how questions. Oh, how will you prepare for that? Instead of like, okay, this is an emergency. Let's figure it out together. Right. You say, how will you prepare for that? And then how do you think worry will show up and try and freak you out about it? Right. Those are two good questions. So I have to go and do a thing in a few days, right? I'm not really nervous about it. I'll just use an example. So I have to go and do this TV show thing. So I can say to myself, how will I prepare for it? What do I have to do? I'm most concerned about whether or not my roots are going to show on TV, but I'll figure that out. And then the next question I might ask if I were nervous about it is that how will worry show up and try and undermine me? How will worry catastrophize? How will worry want me to think about all the possible things that could go wrong? Those are two very different how questions, but they're very relevant when you're trying to help somebody differentiate between planning and worrying. That night when you're getting ready for the next day, planning is fine. Worrying is that desire to both amplify things and to make them into an emergency, like you said, Robin, and then also try and create certainty. There's a difference between those how questions, but those are helpful questions to ask. Say you've got, you know, you're working on this with your child and you might say during the day, how do you think worry will show up and try and grab hold of us tonight? What do you think it'll do? Right? Yeah. What do you think is going to happen? Well, that's great because it's actually forcing that conversation at a reasonable hour. Mm -hmm. That's right. And some kids might say, I don't want to talk about it now, Bobby. Right? Don't bring it up. I have kids that start worrying about bedtime at four or five in the afternoon. Yeah. I mean, what you're really saying is if you find that you're playing defense a lot at bedtime, you need to really up your offense game during the day. That is very well put. Wow. I made a sports analogy and only you, you did. Only you know yeah. what a big deal that was. Yeah. It was, that was a really good sports analogy. It wasn't, but even still, I don't yeah. make those often. No, but it was good. Way to go. <laughs> yeah. Way to up your sports analogy game. Okay. Now you're mocking. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you as we end this episode, do you want to hear how my day started? Sure. Speaking of uncertainty, my cat caught his tail on fire. (laughs) It's terrible. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, it was totally fine because apparently cat fur doesn't burn all that quickly. Um, But we have a gas stove, so we are like cooking tea or something. And he was sitting, we have, you know, like little bar stools. So he's sitting next to the stove, just kind of like enjoying. And I think he was looking out the window and he saw a bird. So he started wagging his tail. All of a sudden, I look over, his tail is on fire. And it smells terrible, by the way. So it didn't get any of his skin or anything. There was so much charred cat tail fur that we had to sweep it up with a broom and a dustpan. But he's totally fine. But talk about uncertainty. I did not think that my cat's tail would catch on fire. This is Stuart. Stuart makes an appearance in my social media. He's a really big, fluffy, sweet rag doll. But yes, his tail caught on fire this morning. This is part of your kitten theme, your anxious dreams too. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah, right. That could have been, I could have had the dream. I could have, I could have been saying to you like, oh my God, Robin, I had the most anxious dream this morning. Stuart's tail caught on fire. But no, that actually happened. <laughs> yeah. But we handled it well. You did. 
If this episode was helpful to you, you can join our Facebook community and we'd love it if you left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wannabe Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.